so as we look at uh, this scripture, as we read through Paul and, and his uh, epistle of Philippians 1, 12 through 18, and, and the rest of this book, first off, this book is, is an incredible book of joy and encouragement and uh, excitement and to see how God does what he does, right? But then the other thing is we see a man who walks in all that God calls him to do, and even in the hard times, he has joy. He's not discouraged. He's not uh, scared. He doesn't have anxiety, right? He's walking with God. He's going to go God's way. We can't allow um, our circumstances to dictate what we believe about God. We've got to dictate our feelings and how we know God by who God is and what he does in our lives, right? And so Paul reminds uh, his friends that his imprisonment actually helps the advancement of the gospel. So these are just some things as we look through, uh, we see that the gospel is not being wasted. It's not being um, put away because he's in prison. He's, he's in prison. The gospel is not. It's free to go and do as it pleases, right? And so he's excited, and he's sharing that with him. And then he tells us that, that our lasting hardships, because God will use any, it, uh, I'm sorry, they are lasting hardships, because God's going to use all that we go through forever for his glory and his honor that he might be glorified throughout all the earth so that he's known in everything, right? And so that's kind of what we're going to get out of this little section, these six simple verses that I've got 47 pages of notes on, and uh, we're going to pray about that. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and I rejoice in that. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul's rejoicing. How exciting, right? So there's two elements we see here in, uh, in Paul's joy in his ministry. Where does he get his joy? One of it is joy in spite of hardship. That's, uh, we're going to look at that in 12 through 14. And then in verses 15 through 18, we're going to see joy in spite of hardheads. You ever met any hardheads? I'm sure you have. So let's, uh, let's get kicked off here. We're going to look at joy in spite of hardships. So verse 12 says, I want you to know. What's Paul saying? What's, what does he want you to know? Here's, so this is kind of a, a mic drop moment. Paul is saying, here it comes, get ready. So pay attention. Paul wants you to know something important here, okay? And he's saying that to get their attention, to grab the attention of his audience. He's saying, hey, pay attention. Pay attention. Wake up, right? I know it's early. Church started early. It's a little warm in here. Maybe that's just the lights. But God... It, Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to tell you something here. And then he says, 
in all of that, he, say, he says to them um, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All right? So, wait a minute. What's happened to Paul? What, what has happened to him over the years? What has happened to him right now? Where's he at right now? So, in order to kind of get a better picture from that, of that, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 23 through 28. We're going to read all six. No, we're not. Um, I'm going to give you a quick bullet points on what's happening here. So in Acts chapter 23 through 28, Paul experiences a multitude of things. All kinds of hardships happen to Paul uh, for the cause of Christ. And so number one, in Acts 23, we see in Jerusalem, he was dragged out of the temple and was beaten with intent to kill. And the only reason he lived is because the guards heard about it. The uh, tribune, the Roman tribune heard about it, and they came running down to uh, break up the fight. And then what happened? Paul got arrested for inciting a riot. Because that's what Paul does, right? He just incites riots. So he gets arrested. Then we see he gives his testimony to the crowds under Roman custody, and they reject him. They're booing him. They're like off with his head. The whole, they're just in angst against Paul. And then he's taken to the barracks where he's flogged, right? He's beaten. Uh, have you ever been, kids, have you ever been beaten, uh, flogged? Beaten or flogged? No, that's good, because parents shouldn't do that to the kids. That's what we do for prisoners, right? And so what happens here is Paul is uh, being scourged for not telling the whole deal. Why do people hate you? What's going on here? And uh, so he's, he gets these cat of nine tails, all right? So do you hear him complaining yet? Has he made any statements of whining? Am I upset about anything? No, we don't hear any of that yet. So then what happens is he gets taken to uh, Felix, uh, who's a king, and he's the emperor. And then he sees Festus, and then he sees Agrippa and Bernice, uh, and they're such a lovely couple that uh, he says, well, just send me to Caesar, right? And so all through all of that, he's still kind of being ridiculed. They, they hear him out. They want to hear him out. But then there's some ridicule that happens. But at any point, uh, this guy bef- uh, appears before these people, and he's not even the slightest bit moved. He is uh, grace under fire. He is filled with the joy of the Lord. And so there's no whining there. And Paul is then sent to Rome because he asked, hey, I, I want to I see Caesar. And so Paul goes to Rome via ship under guard, and uh, on the way, the seas are very, like seas are apt to be, very uh, rough and stormy. And in this, there's a shipwreck. There's a, he gets shipwrecked. And for 14 days, before the shipwreck, the storm comes in. 14 days, they're without food. They don't eat because they're afraid they're going to die. And so they're holding out. And uh, so eventually, they get shipwrecked, and they end up on this island of Malta. Now, in the shipwreck, there's 276 people aboard this ship. The only reason we know that is because God promises all 276, because of Paul, will be saved. All 276 persons lived and ended up on the island of Malta, where Paul is then uh, greeted with a snake that bites him, right? And he shakes it off into the fire, and then they mistake him for a god, and, or for a, a murderer, and then a god. So they got it all mixed up. So Paul goes through all this stuff, so you, kinda, kinda, you can kind of see that Paul is really catching it, and he's really been through some stuff. Hey, have you, have you ever been through anything in your life? Have you ever struggled with anything? Have you ever had a hard time with life? Just one. Okay. Well, the rest of you guys, man, praise God, you hadn't been through all that. So I know this group, so I know, I know some of you in this group, so I know that there's been some hard times and struggles, and that's kind of 
that's life as it is, right? If you're not, if you're not having hard times, you're not struggling, then uh, you may want to check, check your walk and see where things are at um, just for the cause of Christ. And so John MacArthur says this, one of the surest measures of a Christian's spiritual maturity is what it takes to rob him of his spirit-bestowed joy. Paul's maturity is evident in the present text as he makes it clear that difficult, unpleasant, painful, even life-threatening circumstances do not rob him of his joy, but rather cause it to increase. And so as Christians, let me ask you this question. Don't answer out loud. I don't want you to incriminate yourself. What robs you or steals your joy? What or who would rob you or steal your joy? Uh, it's, it's a tough question, and oftentimes when I think on it, I struggle with um, maintaining joy just because of the mess in life that, as it goes on. And so joy is, a, joy is an incredible gift that God gives. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? God's, it's a, rather, it's a fruit, not a gift, and this fruit comes with the Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5.22, where um, Paul tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness against such things. There is no law. So joy is this beautiful uh, fruit that God gives us. Uh, but it doesn't, uh, doesn't make it constant. It doesn't make it uh, uh, full all the time. And so we have to um, be careful of our lives. So what... What kind of things could possibly steal your joy? What, what kind of mess would steal your joy? Maybe uh, it's negativity. Maybe it's uh, dissension at work. Maybe it's struggles at work. Maybe it's a coworker who doesn't really get along with you. And so there's this struggle. There's this dissension. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's just the uh, negativity of, of the day. And so sin oftentimes interrupts our joy as we look at it, dissatisfaction, doubt, sullenness, bitterness, those kinds of things will steal our joy. And so the only way to get that back is to repent of our sin and go and worship the Lord and be obedient to that same God who loves us so much to restore that joy. So then, uh, continuing on in the verse, we see it says uh, down in verse 12, it says, it served to advance the gospel, right? And so when I was, when I was kind of preparing this, I was thinking about uh, what are some ways that the gospel is being advanced? How, how, does, how does the gospel get advanced in, in spite of suffering? And so I came across this guy, John Bunyan. Uh, not Paul Bunyan with Babe the Blue Ox, but, but John Bunyan, uh, the 17th century English writer and Puritan preacher. And uh, he's he was born in 1628 in Elstoy, UK, all right? And this guy would preach some serious sermons. This guy would bring the heat, and uh, he would bring them so hot and heavy that the people loved him, the people enjoyed his preaching, he was beloved by the people but hated by the leadership of the Church of England. Uh, they just couldn't stand him. And so they finally had him in prison. They got tired of his mouth, they got tired of him always getting all the glory, so they put him in prison. Do you think that shut him up? No, not at all. In fact, what he did was he'd go out to the courtyard of the prison, go out into the prison yard and preach across the wall, preach to the inmates and preach to people who had gathered from Bedford, the small town outside. They would come and gather outside the walls and listen. They'd come from all over the place and they'd come and hear John Bunyan preach. And so the authorities said, hey, we can't have this guy doing that. So they moved him to solitary confinement inside the prison. 
And so they thought for sure that would shut him up. They thought for sure he can't preach to anybody. They, you know, don't send guards down there. Don't send anybody down there. This guy's a nut. Leave him back in the hole. Well, for two years, he was in that hole, and he, while they slowed his preaching down, they didn't stop the ministry of John Bunyan from going forth. He wrote a book that has, um, I mean, it's been all over the world uh, for, for, the, for the better part of the 17th century. It was um, one of the most read and copied books in history next to the Bible. And so it was number two, Scripture was number one. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. Ever heard of it? Yeah, a couple of you. So it's on my short list of read this year uh, because of this sermon. So I thought I probably should read that. I've heard about it for years and just never read it. So it's time, right? And so that's, uh, so while he's in prison, the gospel's being even further. So he's in prison and he writes this book and it gets out and it's all over the place. The ends of the earth uh, have heard about uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And that's not because John Bunyan uh, was an incredible man. He was. It's not because uh, he loved the Lord deeply. He did. It's because the Holy Spirit had its perfect work in his word, right? And so because John Bunyan was faithful to the gospel, God was faithful to his own word to make sure that the world heard it. And so that's uh, the incredible story of how hardships uh, will continue to further the gospel. And so we see as we go on to verse 13, I got another hour and a half. Okay. Um, We see in verse 13 here, it says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. First off, what, what has become known? What has become known? That he's in prison because of Christ. Not because he's a bad dude. Not because he's uh, done a bunch of wrong stuff. Not because he's a criminal, but because he loves God. And he's there because he's telling all about this guy, Jesus, who died on the cross for everybody, right? And so he's in prison for that. Now, imprisonment is kind of a, um, a weird thing here. When we think of imprison, or we think of imprisonment or prison, we have a tendency to think of four walls, bars, you know, stuff like that. He was actually under house arrest at this time, and he was cuffed uh, to a praetorian or imperial guard. And this praetorian or imperial guard was on an 18-inch chain from him. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine being chained to somebody 24 hours a day. That was 24 hours. Now, these guys had a six-hour rotation. Every six hours, they would rotate off the watch. So for six hours, they were chained to Paul 24-7 for two years. I know you can't imagine being chained that way, but I am just starting to feel just a little sympathy for the Praetorian Guard. These poor guys are hearing six-hour sermons day in and day out. They're hearing about Jesus every minute of every day. They're watching this consistent life lived out in front of them. They're seeing, they're seeing Paul's life uh, exemplify Jesus and all that he does. I just can't. Can you imagine being chained to that day in and day out if you're lost? I What? I, I wigged out just having to go to church as a kid. I'm like, oh, oh, church. So, you know, we're kids, and that's, wow, I just, I can't. So, so what, what is happening here is all the guard, because they've had to sit with Paul for six hours a day for two years, have heard the story of Paul. And they're all saying, there's no way this guy could be guilty. He's too good, right? And so then it says, in that scripture, it says, and the rest. Who are the rest? 
Who are these people? Who are the rest? The rest would be Agrippa, Caesar, Festus, Felix, all the upper echelon, all of the high-ranking officials, all the rest are hearing it. Now, I can only imagine in that day in Rome, in those times, Rome was such a cruel um, dictatorship and cruel to their people or cruel to all those around them. Somebody was praying, right? Some church was praying. Some little Galatia was praying, Lord God, how do we get in to these pagans and tell them about Jesus? How do I get to Caesar? How do I get to Felix? How do I get to the inner sanctum here? How do I, the lonely Jewish convert to, to the way, how do I get in there? How does Lord God help us? And what, what does God do? God sends Paul. Paul says, I'll be obedient. Paul had a call to go and do, and he knew he was going to Rome, and here he is, I'm going to Rome, he's in prison. He didn't know how that's going to happen. How does that work out? And so God clearly called him to do this. And so here it is, Paul had no idea this was going to be how he got to the inner sanctum of the Roman community. That's just incredible to me to think about that. And so then, here's a twist. Let me ask you this question. How might this, um, how might this work out in your everyday life? Um, how, how might this play out? Who is chained to you? Or who are you chained to? And I know you're thinking, I'm not really chained to anybody. I'm kind of free to go and do. How about children? Kids, I know you feel that way. You feel chained to your parents, right? I just, we got to do everything they say all the time, right? Right? It's okay. They're given to you of a purpose, kids. You're with your parents so that you can learn and watch and see Jesus played out every day in their lives, right? You get to see a prime example of mom and dad living out before you. And so that's one way, right? And that's kind of the most obvious. Our kids are given to us, so we raise them up in the way they should go, so when they're old, they'll return. Or something like that, right? It's incredible what God will do, what God is doing in the lives of your kids because you've made a commitment to raise them according to God's ways. And so, but here, let me, let me twist this. Let me get outside of the, the regular comfort zone, get outside of the normal thought process. What about how do you, how do you impact the elite in Texas? How do you impact the elite in America? Who, do you, who, do you, who are you chained to in that way? Who might that be? Give me a little, give me a little uh, chain, if you will. Um, how, about, how about your senators and representatives, state and, rep- and federal, right? Are they not our employees? They're kind of tethered to us by our vote, right? We have a way to influence them and say to them, hey, do what's right. We have to have a voice in that. We pray and share the gospel with them. If you're, if you're not praying with your senators and your, your congressmen, how do you impact America? Listen, America is not ever going to be changed. Texas is never going to be changed by politics. That, that's, not, that's not happening. What's, the only way this country is ever going to be changed, the only way Texas is ever going to be changed, is when we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit. When we begin to pray for the men and women who are chained to us as employees. We pray that God will change their hearts, that God will put somebody in their life to impact them for the glory of God. And until that happens, 
the only change we'll see is at the pumps, right? Higher gas prices. So my point in all that is be thinking and praying, how, was, how could God possibly use you to reach the Praetorian Guard of Texas, the Praetorian Guard of America? In which case, hopefully that will turn and you'll be able to reach the kingdom, the elite, the Washington, D.C. crowd. And all that is through prayer. All that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, it may be God's will that it never changes, that it goes this way until the end. That's a very real possibility. But you don't know that. I don't know that. Our job is to pray like God's going to change it all for the glory of God, right? That's our job as brothers and sisters in Christ. And to love, to love them in spite of themselves, right? Because we are nothing but, from birth, we're nothing but wicked, right? We're evil from birth. And because of that, we see Washington the way it is. We see Texas the way it is. We see our towns the way they are. So I said all that to say, and the rest will know that Jesus is Lord. And that's how we do that, through prayer and, uh, and praising a holy God. So lasting hardship produces opportunities to share the gospel, uh, to talk to people you never dreamed you'd be able to talk to. I never dreamed, I never dreamed that I would be able to speak to inmates behind bars. I never dreamed that I'd have an opportunity to share my faith um, with lost people who have committed murder and all kinds of heinous crimes. Uh, me and my wife, when we got married, we never dreamed that her past would take us to prison. I mean, not that she did anything wrong. I know that's what y'all thought, right? She's, she, I mean, she's an angry lady, but not, not uh, well, at me now, but um, she, God, God has radically saved her out of a mess. If you knew her story, you'd understand the whole comment, but to understand how did her life end us up going to prison week in and week out, sharing our faith. And because we were able to share our faith with inmates, with convicts, we also were able to impact the men and women in gray. Now, Texas guards, TDCJ, they wear gray. And they, they wear, oh, man, I'm running out of time. They wear gray uh, as, as to offset them from the white that's being worn, right? And so we were able to impact the officers. We're able to pray for them. We're bringing stuff into them. That's not because of us. It's because of God in us. We're able to share the gospel with men and women who are over our inmates, right? And they get to talk to the wardens. And the wardens get to see the impact and the change in the inmates' lives. When they leave prison, they come back 3 to 7% of the time. Texas recidivism is 78 to 84% of return. That's what that means. Recidivism means they return to prison, okay? When they go through the program that we have set before them, this faith-based dorm, it's only 3% of the time do they return back. Now, most times when they do come back, they're coming back as civilians to share the good news of the gospel because their lives were changed in prison because we had an impact. God impacted their lives through us, changed them, and they go back inside to share the gospel, to share the good news. How about that, right? You want to impact your kids, all the glory to God. Only he could have done that. <clears throat> okay, so, um, and that's kind of how that, that's how that rolls out with sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, and the hardships that we live in. Going to prison isn't easy, y'all. You get to be pat searched. You ever been pat searched before? Please never experience that unless you're going to prison. So anyway, I got to move on. I'm out of time. Uh, how much more time do I got? Like 47 minutes, right? So 14 are much more bold to speak the word. So 
because of this, more people in Paul's circle were willing to go share the gospel. They weren't afraid. They would just go and share it with boldness and courage. And so because of that, we have women coming into prison with boldness. They're sharing their, their faith because of what God's done in them, because we showed courage, they show courage, and they go in despite their fear of they may keep me, right? So they go into prison, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch them come in. And so now we're going to move on to joy in spite of hardheads. Anybody ever had any hardheads? Envy and rival is what causes hardheads in the church, right? And this is, the, so these hardheads that Paul's dealing with aren't, they aren't the world outside. You expect the world to give you a hard time. What you don't expect, expect excuse me, is for brothers and sisters in Christ in your own house at Renewal Church. You don't expect that. You don't expect that to happen. You expect support and love and courage, right? But what happens is jealousy and envy and rivalry kick in, especially in dudes. I don't know about y'all, but dudes, we're, we're competitive. And so we, we want... You know, I want that gift, right? We get envious of gifts. Somebody gets the gift of speaking. Colton, well, not really Colton, but other people who... So, so just the gifts of other people, we get envious of. Oh, that person has the gift of empathy, and they have the gift of encouragement, or, or they have the gift to speak, to talk, um, and we get jealous of that and envious. And so that causes rivalry. Paul says, in spite of that, I'm going to love them, and the gospel goes forward. See, in spite of the hardhead, the gospel is going to continue to go forward. We see here, it says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, right? And then in verse 15, um, sorry, 16, the former, sorry, 17, go to 17. 17 says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in every way whether in pretense or in truth, right? And so they're looking, I'm sorry, that was 18, uh, to afflict me in my imprisonment. So they're looking to inflict trouble on Paul, cause him harm. So I can only imagine that as Paul's been in prison and these naysayers, these um, brothers in Christ who are envious, they're out there saying, much like uh, Job's friends, right? Hey, uh, Paul, you know, this guy has probably probably got some hidden sin. That's why God's got him locked up in Huskow. That's why... That's why he's down to clown in prison. That's why he's not out here preaching. See, he's done. He's got some hidden sin that we don't know about, and so he's locked up, right? Isn't that how that goes, right? Something bad happens to you, and the whole world thinks, uh-oh, what? And that's not how that works, see? Nothing happened. Job didn't have that problem. Job didn't have a hidden sin, right? We see that he tells his friends, I got nothing. I've searched my heart. I got nothing. Paul's like, I'm here for the cause of Christ and Christ alone. I've done nothing wrong. I'm not a criminal right? And so in the church, you'll see that very thing, uh, just continually seeking their own ambition. Listen, is ambition a bad thing? Is that, no, ambition is not a bad thing. Uh, so long as it doesn't, see, ambition led Paul to go on missionary journeys. Ambition led Paul, he was ambitious for the gospel. I want to go share the word. But when ambition comes to ladder climbing, and you're climbing each rung over bodies, of people you work with, now that's a different kind of ambition. That's an ambition that says no matter what, I'm getting to the top. Everybody else, forget about them, right? And so healthy ambition, though, says I want to see the gospel proclaimed throughout the world. I got a friend of mine who goes to India 
um, I don't know why he's crazy, but God called him to India. He went all over the place, and India is the place he gets called to. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to praise God, and I'm going to share the gospel, and he does. Now, he's been out of there for a few years now because of COVID, but God has blessed him with the opportunity to share the gospel to Muslims throughout the world. All right. So, hard heads and hardship, so long as the gospel's proclaimed, so long as Christ is glorified, Paul has joy. So know this, in your hardship, in the hard heads coming at you, in all of that, God be glorified because of your joy, because of how you walk in and through the hard times of life. When you show Christ to be real in your life, when you glorify and give honor to God because you're going you're gonna to walk with Christ no matter, no matter what the world says, no matter how the world treats you, no matter how the church uh, offends you, right? We're going we're gonna to receive offense, right? Because people? It, raise your hand if you're not a people. Yeah, everybody here is a people. So at some point, we're going to hurt somebody. But God loves us. And in spite of that, he's going to use you to share the gospel with somebody out there. So when you see hard times, it's not the time to go, oh, man. It's the time to say, joy's coming. What's God doing? Joy's coming. What's God doing? What's going to happen next? It should be a a time of expectation, a time of uh, excitement to see what's going to happen now. We went through a serious struggle a while back here. And now look at what God's doing right? I think we all can relate. When it hits the fan, that's when God does his best work because we're out of control. We're out of, we're out of business of being in charge. God takes over, kicks in, and rules the day. And look at us now. Look at what God is doing. Just look around. God loves you in spite of ourselves, right? And so the point here today is, in a nutshell, God never wastes a hardship in our lives. He's always going to use them.